the FT. Your reputation is your most valuable asset, but it can also be your most fragile. At Mishkondorea, we've developed a number of highly effective strategies to protect it from every journalist, ex-employee, or gossip monger out to damage it. Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to the latest podcast of the Financial Times' Deals and Dealmakers series. I'm Anusha Sakui, the FT's mergers and acquisitions correspondent. While the M&A world has had a chaotic and arguably depressing year in terms of values of deals announced, some fascinating trends have emerged. One of the most significant has been the growth in international bids by Chinese companies. By the end of September this year, the level of outbound M&A by Chinese groups was at a record high, according to Dealogic, with some $45 billion worth of deals done, 252 to be precise, and that is up 32% from the same period last year. China's record in international M&A has been controversial. Memories remain of Beijing-backed oil group Sinux's $16 billion hostile bid for America's Unical in 2005. That ultimately had to be scrapped on national security grounds. This summer saw China return with Sinux bidding $18.2 billion for Canada's Nexen, the largest China outbound M&A deal on record. So far, the bid looks on course. We have seen China bids on the rise elsewhere. In Portugal this year, buying the first state asset sold as part of the Eurozone crisis when China's Three Gorges bought the government stake in electricity producer EDP. In the UK, Chinese sovereign wealth fund CIC took a stake in the capital's water company Thames and other well-known brands have been snapped up, such as Weetabix. To discuss the drivers behind these bids are Andy Cox, Global Head of Energy and Natural Resources at KPMG, and William Downs, Global Leader of Corporate and Corporate Finance at law firm Squire Sanders. Thanks to both of you for joining me. Andy, if I could just start with you, what sectors principally are you seeing Chinese buyers drawn to? And uh, what kind of buyers are you seeing? Well, it's interesting you picked that really up in your introduction. I mean, the biggest by far we've seen is energy the energy and natural resources side, but also chemicals and industrials as well. Um, Particularly on the energy side, there's been a huge number of deals, um, a number in the UK and North America, Um, and we're also seeing some down in Australia as well, so real wide geographic spread. Um, In terms of the type of bidders, obviously we've got the state-owned enterprises, again, coming to the fore, but also we're seeing some of the financial players as well. So you mentioned CIC um, looking and their stake in Thames Water, uh, but there's also been others like Citic, um, Capital Partners as well, who made a significant acquisition in Germany. So there's a real range, and equally on the private side, we've seen obviously very active in the UK, Chung Kong Infrastructure over recent times, equally making acquisitions. What are the motivations generally behind these bids? I, I think there are a few drivers, um, and I think Andy's sort of hit on the biggest sector there where really securing uh, raw material and supply to sustain industrial production and infrastructure at home is a key driver behind the um, natural resources side of things. Increasingly, though, we're seeing Chinese companies looking like they want to acquire skills, technology, intellectual property to enhance local industrial capacity and increase their global competitiveness which would be consistent with the latest five-year plan which runs from sort of 2011 to 2015 and finally probably meeting and capitalizing on the growth and change in consumption patterns in China itself and I think that's affecting both outbound and inbound activity. Are there any countries in particular that we're seeing I I don't know if they're more attracted to Europe or uh, American countries? 
Well, I think, you know, uh, top by volume but not value would be Australia. So you're seeing a lot of continuing activity in Australia. Is there a particular reason behind that? I think that's mainly around the natural resources side. A lot of that is mining, basically iron ore and other things uh, like that. Some rarer earths as well, although China is blessed with a, a large proportion of the world's rare earths. And in addition, obviously, North America. Um, I think Andy and you earlier on alluded to some of the large acquisitions there. And I think if you think about something like shale gas, which is enormously advanced in the States, it's less so in China. China has some demanding geologies to deal with. And I think that's one factor, um, as well as just the richness of resources in the States and Canada, basically. We've also seen them go after brands like Weetabix. Is there any particular driver behind that acquisition pattern? I think one of the things, just to add what's already been said, is that we do see Chinese companies um, very keen on what I'd call immediately recognisable brands. So brands to Chinese companies are important. Um, and indeed, the Weetabix one is a good example outside of the energy space. Um, and indeed, there could be more of that in the future. Well, one thing that we've seen is Chinese buyers be more successful at getting to a stage of announcing a, an agreed transaction. Andy, in the deals that you've seen, are there any particular ways that the the way these groups are bidding has changed? Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting, actually. And if you take the uh, the most recent deal, the CNUC um, nexon example um, there, where so if you could step back after Unicol, since then we've seen mainly minority investments being made, but indeed this time we saw a takeover of Nexum. And the background there, as I understand, there was an awful lot of time spent leading up to the deal working alongside Nexon, indeed in a joint venture looking into wells in Gulf of Mexico and one or two other areas. So the companies spent a lot of time getting to know each other first. I know there was relationships built around governments and in the countries which Nexon operate, which indeed would be helpful, and also getting on board the the main executives at Nexon and indeed local officials in Alberta before actually launching a full-blown bid, and that's quite a different approach to what was taken back in 2005. Now, William, do you, do you see any, any other permutations of, of the trend? Well, I think it, what, what Andy's identified there is a, an interesting development and I think an increasing sign of maturity on the part of Chinese bidders. You still see some high-profile issues most recently um, around Huawei and, and ZTE where uh, security issues in, in the States in particular come up. And I think uh, what Andy's highlighted there in the uh, relationship building that the, the time it takes to prep an acquisition is a sign of increasing maturity on the part of Chinese companies and perhaps their advisors as well. We still do see in the market reports, you know, references to uh, the Asian bidder with uh, deep pockets uh, circling around companies. Are there limitations to what can still be done? I mean, indeed, there are continued rumours about further transactions happening um, and no doubt a number of conversations happening around the place. I would say that we've seen, obviously, a slowdown back in China itself, um, a domestic slowdown. Um, That doesn't seem to necessarily have slowed down an appetite to further outbound M&A, as far as we can see. William, how do you see the trend evolving I think it's continuing. It's ramped up significantly this last two years. I think if you look back to 2005, it's increased quite significantly, but particularly in these last two years, you've seen an increasing emphasis 
on the states and Western Europe, which I think goes to the point I was making earlier about wanting to acquire assets which actually help in, in different ways back home, not just the resources side, although that's still top by a long way in terms of value and, and so on and will continue to be so. But I think you're going to see this change around the, the next five-year plan, uh, and I think we'll see that continuing. Anything we should look forward to, Andy, that you want to add? I think uh, the bottom line is that China is hungry for deals, and uh, I would see that continuing um, for some time yet. Andy Cox and William Downs, thank you very much for joining me today. Remember, you can access the full Deals and Dealmakers report at ft.com forward slash dealmakers. Thank you for listening and goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.